Welcome back to another episode of the Around the Block podcast from Coinbase. I'm your host, Justin Mark. With us this week, we have a very exciting topic. This is one that I've honestly been looking forward to recording and very happy we finally get to publish. We're talking about asset listings at Coinbase. That's right. We're going to talk all about our philosophy on asset listings and hopefully dispel some of the misconceptions that I think are floating out there today. So some of the questions we're going to get into include, you know, why do we decide what assets to list? How do we decide what assets to list? And why do some assets get listed while others don't? What's the prioritization here? How do we think through that? What causes an asset to get delisted? And is there any relationship between Coinbase Ventures and our listing process? So with us to break down all this is Paul Graywall, our chief legal officer, as well as Serge Chatterjee, our chief product officer. But before we get into it, we originally recorded this episode, and shortly after recording, we had heard reports of people appearing to buy certain assets right before we'd announced they'd be listed on Coinbase, allowing them to potentially benefit from price movements that sometimes accompany our listing announcements. So before we get into the original episode, we do want to briefly address this matter and provide some context and some updates, as well as some changes we'll be making around our listing process in the coming quarters. For this first part, I have with me Paul Graywall, our Chief Legal Officer, to break it all down. Paul, help us figure it out. Thanks, Justin. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, we, we are certainly aware uh, of concerns folks may have that there may be some uh, participants in the market that are taking advantage of certain information that is available as part of our listing process. Now, what are we talking about? Well, one example of this might be uh, on-chain data that, that can be detected when Coinbase is testing new asset integrations or small differences in the way that our API responds um, to detect when there might be a configuration of an asset taking place, but that hasn't yet actually launched. So, you know, the, the thing to bear in mind about all of this is that all of this is public data. It, it, it's, it, it, it's data that anyone has access to, um, but at the same time, it's also data that certain customers, certain customers may more easily be able to understand. And so um, we try to remove these uh, differences or, 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 or asymmetries in information. So everybody's playing on a level playing field. Now, separate and apart from um, this type of information that's made available to the public as part of our listing process, there's also a possibility uh, that somebody from inside a Coinbase could either um, purposefully or inadvertently disclose information to people outside the company who are engaging in illegal activity. Now, I have to be super, super clear about this. At Coinbase, we have zero tolerance for this particular um, type of behavior, and we actively monitor for it. We conduct investigations when we have suspicions that something may be um, occurring that's inappropriate, and we work with outside independent law firms to make sure that we get the facts right and we have a clear understanding of what's going on. These firms uh, help us uh, as well by reviewing um, our listing systems, the tools that we're using. Um, we work together with these outside firms to uh, conduct independent blockchain analysis to trace transactions that may be taking place. And we also look for social clues or signals that suggest that there are ties or links between people inside of Coinbase and anyone outside of the company who may be thinking about or actually engaging in any kind of front-running activity. Now, just to be super, super clear about this, uh, if any of these investigations finds that anyone at Coinbase somehow participated in 
uh, a scheme or activity um, that was 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 or is prohibited by our policies, we terminate them, we fire them immediately, and we also go further than that. We refer them to relevant authorities, including for potential criminal prosecution, because again, we have no tolerance for this uh, on our platform. Now, separate and apart from all that. Coinbase has a very explicit trading policy, like every publicly traded company, um, that restricts what people inside the company, including employees, um, can do when they're interested in buying or selling company stock. Our trading policy that goes beyond this because of the nature of Coinbase's business. And, and so that policy prohibits employees, prohibits our contractors from trading on crypto assets or trading crypto assets, rather when they're doing so on material non-public information. And of course, a great example of this is when a new asset uh, is under consideration or is planned to be added to our platform. We have strict rules that uh, employees only trade crypto on Coinbase's platforms where that asset is supported. Um, and we do this so that we can have clear line of sight and understand where there may be prohibited trading activity taking place. We have a special team, a trade surveillance team that is responsible for this. And that team uses advanced software to not only investigate potential um, uh, uh, illegal activity, but also to get ahead of it uh, so that we can stop it even before it takes place. So that's what, that's what, that's what we're doing uh, and have done uh, at Coinbase to keep our platform safe. And uh, at the same time, we're very eager to, and, and always looking for better ways um, to do this work and to improve our system so that people have full confidence uh, that Coinbase is, 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 is creating a level playing field for all. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, I appreciate the transparency. So maybe as a result of some of this feedback from the community and um, what you just mentioned, what are some changes we plan to implement over the next few quarters? Yeah, we've got some changes planned that I think are going to be industry leading and really, really important to staying ahead of this activity uh, in several different ways. One thing we're gonna do going forward is we're going to publish for the world to see any decision that we've made to list an asset. And we're gonna do that even before we've begun the work to make the asset available on our platform, which, which includes, of course, a lot of technical integrations as well. And we're gonna do this to address that earlier problem just that I mentioned, which is that sometimes people can take advantage of publicly available information and identify uh, on-chain data um, uh, that, that, that may provide a signal um, uh, that a new asset is coming. Um, another thing we're going to do is that we're going to publish uh, this only once a decision has been affirmatively made to list. What we're not going to do going forward is simply uh, announce that we're considering a particular asset so that, again, the playing field is level and that everybody at the same time will understand when, when, we're, when, when we're going to move forward with an asset. Separate and apart from all that, um, we're Back in March, we announced that uh, we were releasing a new label, what we call an experimental label on our asset pages. And we're going to be making disclosures uh, uh, around that when executing trades for certain assets. And the assets that are going to uh, bear this experimental label are going to be those that uh, really are suitable only for more advanced traders, because we want to make sure that our customers know exactly what risks they're getting um, into when they're trading any asset. We'll continue to develop these labels going forward. And the idea overall is to provide as much clarity and transparency for our customers as we can. Another thing that we're going to do is we're going to enhance, uh, uh, we're going to enhance our asset ratings and reviews. And we're going to do that um, 
on top of what we're already doing, which is we already provide basic information about each asset so that our customers can can make good, solid decisions about where uh, where to where to uh, put their put their money. What we're what we're talking about now is going to the next level by actually uh, providing formal asset ratings and reviews um, that give the community additional information on on each asset. And this includes information on assets, whether we list them or not. Now, many, many folks are going to be familiar with this concept from other consumer uh, products and services that utilize this wisdom of the crowd um, to help people make good purchase decisions, right? Think about Airbnb, think about Uber, think about Amazon. They all have rating systems that help you have a better understanding of uh, the product or service that you're um, uh uh, purchasing and it's information coming from other people just like you and 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 we're going to uh, we're going to adopt a similar approach because we think ratings interviews can provide additional protections for customers and for consumers in crypto and we think that in the perfect world these can be decentralized in protocols going forward now it, it's clear we're going to have to take special care um, to avoid fake accounts or attacks that might try attempt to distort these reviews, um, because it's really, really important that we make sure that these reviews actually are useful and provide high quality signal. So that's what that's what we're planning to do, and we're gonna we're gonna do this by launching a beta of this feature uh, later this year. And Justin, if I can just highlight one other thing uh, that we're, that we're gonna do, we're gonna in, we're gonna we're gonna invest even more in screening our assets and detecting uh, potential front running. Uh, by continuing to improve our capability to evaluate assets. We're going to look at the economics and the token economics of these assets, and we're going to use forensic tools to look on-chain to evaluate each project. So we're upping our game. We're constantly upping our game to understand more and more about the projects that are interested in listing their assets on Coinbase. And we think if we do that, we can move um, very quickly to delist assets um, that that although initially appeared promising, are in fact experiencing bad activity. So that's it in a nutshell. Thanks, Paul. That was a lot to take in, but I'm glad that we can be transparent around these really important matters. So with this, let's jump back into our original episode featuring Paul, our chief legal officer, as well as Serge Chatterjee, our chief product officer. Here's where we get to dive into some of the elements in the room with respect to our listing process. How do we decide what to list? What assets get listed? And wh why do some assets get listed and, and others do not? And what causes an asset to get delisted? What's the relationship between Coinbase Ventures and our listing process? Very important questions. I'm very excited for this dialogue. Let's jump into it. Honestly, I'm super excited to have this episode happen. I mean, I think over the years, there's been a lot of misconceptions about how Coinbase decides to list assets, what assets we choose to support, and kind of watching some of this chatter from afar it's been, uh, I guess I've been looking forward to the moment we could shed some light on some of the processes here. So I'm super excited we're having this, this talk. Um, we're gonna get into you know, why we list assets, the process that goes into it, and how we think about adding assets. Um, but Serge, I wanna start with you, and I wanna ask to begin some foundational sort of context building here. When we talk about adding support for an assets, we have many different products. And so what are the different ways we can add support for an asset? Great question, Justin. So as you mentioned, we have many different products. Coinbase Wallet, Coinbase Custody, Commerce, Cloud, our retail app, and Coinbase Exchange. So what we think about is adding assets, uh, which assets we are going to add to Coinbase Exchange and make it available for trading on our uh, pro and retail 
interfaces like Coinbase main app and Coinbase Pro app, and as well as Coinbase custody. So that's what we, how we think about adding assets. And then uh, on wallet and some of the other places, it's a very different game. Wallet works with DEXs, uh, actually multiple DEXs underneath it. And we actually don't follow any particular process there to add assets. If the asset is available on a DEX, on a DEX wallet, will, it will be available on, on the wallet as well. Exactly. So uh, the, way, the way I think about it too is, you know, we have many different products. You know, what we choose to add on Coinbase Custody might be different than what we choose to add on the retail app. And the assets we support on Coinbase Wallet carries a different level of considerations because we have to add a cryptography for how we sign those transactions, et cetera, et cetera. So um, we have a different, uh, many different applications, many different products. And so what we want to hone in on today, though, is the process that we go through on adding an asset for support on our retail app. And that's the app that I think most people have. It's where we can buy and sell assets easily, where we custody and store them for you. And that's, I think, the one that most people are curious about, right? So our strategy has evolved over the years here. When we first started Coinbase, it was just Bitcoin. So I'm curious, Serge, from your perspective, how has our listing strategy evolved over the years? Yeah, you know, as you said, we started with Bitcoin, like all the other centralized exchanges did. And over the years, crypto asset space just exploded. And there are now thousands of different tokens uh, out there. There are Elon chains and thousands of tokens, many hundreds of tokens on each one of the Elon chains. So uh, we are looking at how do we try add as many assets as possible compliantly, securely, and legally. So that's, that's our goal. And how many assets we make available to our users, our retail users, uh, following those norms. And I can talk a little bit about what we do and technically, and maybe pass it on to Paul to talk about the legal compliance and security hurdles that every asset has to go through before they get they'll get listed on our exchange and on our retail app. So on technical side, you know, adding tokens from a from new chain is is technically very intense actually, and we often um, request uh, new new chain new asset issuers to work with. Uh, Rosetta, which is an open source software that we have made available that makes it easy for anyone to list their assets to any exchange, including Coinbase's own exchange. Uh, adding ERC-20 tokens is relatively easier and we can do that in, in days time technically. And of course, everything has to go through a process of legal compliance and security review. Maybe Paulie can talk a little bit about that. Happy to talk about that. Um... You know, Justin, you, you mentioned um, that our, our our strategy has evolved over the years. One thing that hasn't evolved, one thing that's remained quite fixed, actually, is that we we will only list assets that uh, meet and pass our legal compliance and security standards, which which are grounded in you know standards that 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 really reflect our our focus on offering products that make sense for the market, and so. Um, you know, that's the main reason why we have invested so many different resources, both internally and externally, in order to get these uh, legal compliance and security issues right. Um, and, and so, you know, when we go through this process to evaluate a particular asset, we're focused on whether we can, whether we, whether we can meet the standards. What we're not focused on is picking winners and losers. Um, that is, if an asset can pass our legal test, if it can pass our compliance test, if it can pass our security test, at that point, we want to list it because we believe the market should decide 
you know, who, who, who's going to win and, and lose, not, not, not Coinbase. And, and that's how we get to this, you know, this, this goal we have of offering, um, you know, an Amazon that is, you know, the everything store for, for crypto assets in the same way that the, that the original Amazon was the everything store for, for, for legal goods. Yeah, there's kind of two big buckets of complexity, right? There's the technical aspect of things. How do we technically support an asset? And then there's, as you mentioned, the security compliance and legal framework of can we add this asset? And is it secure and compliant to do so? When we zoom out a little bit, there's obviously a lot of complexity to unpack, which I'm excited we're finally doing. Um, but can we talk a little bit about prioritization and how we decide which assets are maybe top of the fold or below the fold? Or you know, how we stack rank the selection of assets we want to add? Look, we want to look at assets that have a base level of trading volume, right? And we often stack rank based on trading volume, how popular the asset already is in the market. Of course, that particular algorithm does not work for day one assets. So we look at many day one assets and we work with the project teams and assess how, how interesting that asset will be. In, uh, and that plays into our decision to list a day one asset. So high level, it's it's about kind of looking at trading volume and looking at whether it passes through the technical and legal compliance and security hardware. I think my main frame on this too is, you know, we don't necessarily want to be gatekeepers to the industry. You know, the idea of being the Amazon of assets means that we're not the ones that are making the decision on what assets our customers can and can't, you know, integrate or use or, or hold their own. And so our framework also, our prioritization framework, in my head at least, I'm not part of the listing team, of course, but you know, in my head, it's that you know, we, we just want to be able to list the assets that we see are popular and that we see are actually doing something interesting and unique in crypto, are moving the space forward. We want to be beneficiaries to the industry. Uh, one of the mandates for, for Coinbase Ventures, by the way, is you know, we want to be uh, an arm of the company that seeks to accelerate the adoption of crypto and seeks to help, help it succeed its potential. And I kind of view the asset listing strategy a little bit in the same light. You know, we want to be adding the assets that are helping move that goal forward. We don't want to be arbitrary decision makers or kingmakers of any sort. And so our framework on deciding what to list likely comes down to, hey, is it, is it an interesting asset? Are people using it? Do they like it? Is it pushing crypto forward? If yes, or you know, to the degree it's higher, it's probably going to be higher on our list, right? Let's, let's pause here too, though. Sergey, you mentioned some technical aspects. I think there's some interesting things to unpack here. When we talk about the technical reasons or the technical challenges to supporting an asset, this does come with a couple different wrinkles, right? You mentioned the ERC-20 tokens, Ethereum tokens are easier to list than assets on other chains. Um, and so that's also a bit of a differentiator here, right? Is the technical burdens for what assets are easier to list versus others. Can you talk about maybe how that impacts our decision-making as well? Yeah, look, we are always looking at how do we make more assets available to consumer more quickly. So that it does mean like everything that when we prioritize, we may see an, a, an L1 chain asset may be more important but it may take weeks to launch it because of technical complexity. So we'll not wait for that to launch. We'll basically let any asset go forward, which, whichever is, is kind of move faster through our process. And for ERC-20, that process is very simple. It, re, it literally takes us a few days to integrate a new ERC-20 and, and launch that asset. For some of the L1 chains, it, it may be very complex depending on the chain and, and you know, how it's architected, it may take many months sometimes to launch a new asset. So again, we are not here to be gatekeepers to figure out which, which asset launches first. We are trying to see, okay, is this a viable asset? Is this some, doing something interesting? Is there 
some trading volume, base level trading volume, right? Is this moving the ecosystem forward? If that, all that is true and it, it is passing our legal compliance and security bar, we'll put that asset forward on our, um, on our interface. And in fact, I want to just mention one, one thing here, for, particularly for longer tail assets. So what can happen in this kind of marketplace in this ecosystem is you only choose the bigger assets, right? And the big gets bigger and the smaller assets never get a chance. So we are cognizant of that. And what we are trying to do is we want to give a fair share to any assets, right? Any new asset that can, that may one day become very big. So we launched a new um, category called experimental assets, where we are actually giving opportunity to many of all of the long tail assets in the market. We are going to tag them with experimental assets, which means that the, the asset is similar in many ways. You can still send, receive, buy or sell the asset, but it just tells the user that there is potentially more risk involved. And please be cognizant of the risk, read the disclosures before trading. And we want to give everyone a chance through that process. Yeah, this probably comes back to some of the um, unique challenges around supporting long, like the, the bleeding edge of crypto, where the space moves so fast. And a lot of these assets, you know, for example, we recently launched the, the Ape coin, right? Um, the Board Ape Yacht Club released a community token. And that's a day one asset launch, right? We, we added support for that right away. But the reality is the space moves so fast that we don't really know what's going to become of that asset. We don't really know the utility value of that long term. We don't really know. There's just a lot of unknowns in the space. And so it's important to kind of add an experimental label to some of these assets that might carry a little bit more risk. There's becoming, in my head at least, a little bit of a bifurcation between assets that have been around for a long time and have at least more of a pedigree, more of a Lindy effect, so to speak, right? And assets that are newer and more experimental. So I'm glad that we're adding this label to it. But what I'm hearing you say is the experimental label is more just something for our customers to recognize and understand that that asset might carry some additional elements of risk or volatility and it's newer. And so we don't really know what's gonna become of it, but we still wanna be able to list it and we still wanna be able to support it. Yeah, Justin, one way I think about it is that you know, it, it's about consumer protection plus and investor protection plus, right? The legal compliance and security reviews that we we undertake are really about, you know, fundamentally you know, establishing the viability, um, as Serge had put it, of, of the asset, um, right? So, for example, when it comes to our security review, we we don't want to list and we will not list a, a token that would let the the issuer or the creator suddenly take back. Um, uh, uh, the token from the person who actually owns it and rightfully owns it. That's just not acceptable. Um, we have to obviously consider whether or not a, a particular asset may, may may qualify as a security under the under the federal securities laws. That's not a viable asset from our perspective. But beyond that, um, we, we want to let the market decide. And so um, in certain instances where assets are new, um, where trading volumes may be more limited, at least initially, we want to make sure that investors or consumers understand what they're getting into. But under all circumstances, we're making sure that these tokens belong in the market. And that's how, that's how we focus our, our energy and how we think about the review from the legal and compliance security side. Exactly. I actually want to bring up a common critique that I've heard sometimes online. And it goes around the idea of, of adding assets that might not be quote, quote, serious. Uh, back in the, of course, you know, we, Coinbase started, it was just Bitcoin and we only listed Bitcoin and then we finally listed Ethereum and other projects and it's ballooned from there, right? Um, but we've recently added tokens like Dogecoin, Shiba, 
We recently had another one, you know, the 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 pot protocol. <laughs> the, this is an interesting protocol about um, about pets. So and monetization data around pets. But you know, one of the critiques here is that you know maybe we're we're not listing quote quote serious projects. And there's new this, this new category of meme coins, right? So I'm wondering if if you know you guys could shed some light on how we think about uh, these sort of novel new meme coin type assets. Let let me take on that protocol issue head on. Maybe it created a lot of controversy on Twitter. You know, as I said, it's a platform to monetize data about pets. Now that doesn't seem very serious to a lot of people. When I looked at it, uh, we saw that there there was a base level of trading volume that we required to support any asset. So it passed that bar. It also met all our security, legal, and compliance standards as well. So, and it was a ERC-20 token. So it was technically very easy to launch, very simple to list. So, you know, that's why it, it got listed pretty quickly. And as you said, uh, as uh, Paul also mentioned, we don't want to be the arbiter of which assets are deserving and which are respectable and good and so on. We want to let users, individuals decide. I mean, that's the ethos of crypto. Let users decide uh, in, a, in a free, open marketplace. So like Shiv and Doge are other examples. And, and they are dog-themed coins as well. And they have very large liquid markets. And in fact, on uh, Shiv is actually one of the largest uh, kind of uh, held assets on Coinbase. So, you know, people love dogs. Um, you know, they like tokens about dogs. That's that's how it goes, you know, go figure. It, it's certainly surprising, right? I think if I, I'll be honest, back in, you know, when, when Doge was, was released, actually back in 2013, the original altcoin era, when like Bitcoin forks were being launched and Doge came out and it was just a silly little joke, of course. And I remember I was like, oh, this is a fun little joke. Like, you know, nice to have. I was certainly kind of bearish on the long-term prospects of that asset. But this is maybe the important point is like, look, if we're trying to be arbiters of what people can and can't hold or own, and we want to make our own determinations about what is above the fold or below the fold, well, we're probably going to be wrong in certain cases because I would have been wrong about Doge, right? And now many years later, Doge is highly liquid. It's beloved by many. And for the record, you know, if society likes an asset and they want to own it and hold it and have fun with it, that's going to happen, whether I think it's serious or not. And my tune on Doge, just for the record too, you know, my own personal thoughts here, um, but you know, I think it's a valid asset. I think it's it's an important one in the industry, and it represents a new category. You know, and so if we're trying to play a gatekeeper, you know, we'd be unfairly harming that market. Um, so that's my little my little talk on Doge, I suppose. Yeah, and, and just if I can just jump in as well, you know, there are going to be there are assets that are secure, legal, compliant that may strike some people as silly. Well, that that's for others to decide. Uh, as long as they meet our standards, you know, the market will sort all that out over time, right? Exactly. Maybe the natural follow-on here then is, what do we think about delisting an asset? I mean, at times, of course, assets might initially start out as meeting all of our criteria, but how do we approach the topic of what assets might end up being delisted or unsupported? Yeah. Well, look, our goal is always to keep an asset listed um, so that you know a viable market can persist, and and again, uh, the market participants can decide, you know, which assets are, are truly valuable and, and which assets are not, uh, however they define value. Um, but look, there are going to be circumstances uh, from time to time that, that, are, that might cause us to delist an asset. And you know, one example of that might be, for example, if, uh, you know, if we see, if we see um, uh, an asset dropping below certain liquidity thresholds that, that might put market health at risk. 
that that's 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 a that's a that's an, a, a circumstance or an instance where we might choose to delist, or or there could be changes in usage or in the network itself that you know might cause um, the asset to fall below the standards that we we talked about earlier um, uh, for for listing it in the first place. Um, and then there's also the possibility of regulatory action, and I, I don't think I'm I'm surprising anyone here by by referring to XRP. Um, which we suspended back in January of, of, of 2021. So, you know, we've paused our listing for for XRP. Uh, that case, of course, is or that asset rather is subject of active litigation uh, with the SEC. Uh, but we're not endorsing any specific characterization of, of of any asset or any particular interpretation of the law. Um, uh, we're 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 doing what we think is in the best interest of Coinbase customers uh, um, um, and. And always keeping an open mind to changes in facts and circumstances that might might make it appropriate or or, or or less appropriate to have an asset on our exchange. Well said. Yeah, I think my high level frame here too is you know just taking a step back and looking at crypto as a whole. Again, it's it's burgeoning with activity. There's a Cambrian explosion of ideas and utility that's emerging, and, and ways these assets are going to be used and deployed and held. And and so we should probably expect that assets might start out at meeting their criteria. Um, but again, as the space evolves me so fast. We should expect that to change in some situations. And when that does, it's important for us to, again, make sure that we're meeting all the requirements. And if assets suddenly no longer meet those requirements, we kind of have to take them off. Um, and so we, we should probably just expect maybe maybe more of that over time. I don't know. Hopefully not. But, uh, but you know, it's certainly a possibility. Let's move on. I'd actually love to do a session on misconceptions. Thanks be kind of fun. I've, I've seen many over the years about many various conspiracies about, you know, why Coinbase does or doesn't support an asset and, you know, the machinery behind behind the big, you know, black box here. Um, but I'm going to I'm going to make a few statements that are misconceptions and maybe we can all chat about it. So misconception number one is Coinbase doesn't like a project. Maybe we hold a grudge and therefore we don't list it. What do we think about that? Absolutely not. That, that's, that's, that's not a factor. We don't hold grudge against anyone in the, in the community. And that's not a factor at all. Yeah. I hope it's been put to bed at this point. We, we really don't want to be gatekeepers at all. How about the inverse one? The inverse one's interesting as well. You know, there's also some, some notion or sentiment out there that Coinbase will give preferential treatment to some assets. And maybe they point at Coinbase Ventures, where we make investments in early stage projects. And sometimes we list assets that we've also invested in, and they kind of make the claim that we're giving preferential access for treatment. What do we think about that? Well, that that's 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 false as well. I mean, it's important for folks to understand that you know Coin, Coinbase Ventures is a is a is a separate team here at the company. It doesn't have any influence over what assets could, could be listed, and at the same time. Um, you know, it's it's real. It, it's it's uh, participation in a particular asset is 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 not really is not at all a relevant consideration for us. And what that means is, from time to time, you're going to see some Coinbase Ventures assets um, uh, get listed, um, but you're also going to see many many other assets um, uh, from from Coinbase Ventures not get listed um, for for various reasons that have nothing to do uh, with the fact that Ventures is part of this. It's just not a relevant consideration. My, my personal take of this too, I mean, I sit on Coinbase Ventures, and so that's, that's kind of one of my main duties here at Coinbase. And um, look, I mean, I think it's actually just a natural consequence of the fact that Coinbase Ventures will invest in high-quality projects. And as it turns out, high-quality projects, more often than not, are going to pass our bar for listing. And also, they're probably going to be exciting projects people want to own and hold, going to carry, you know, great volume and, and uh, usage metrics. And so it just makes sense that those are also assets we're going to look to support. But there is no conspiracy there. There's a, a a very firm wall between ventures activity and the listing process. Okay, how about another one? Um, 
assets that we list carry an explicit or implicit endorsement from Coinbase. There's some label, there's some quality, there's some endorsement that comes with that. What do we think? Again, absolutely false. As we said multiple times in this podcast today, we are not the arbiters of what is good and what is bad for the user. We are applying our standards, both technical, legal, compliance, and security standards to make sure the asset qualifies to be listed. Post that, there is no endorsement of whether it's good or bad. So it's up to the user, up uh, to the community to figure out whether they like that asset, they want to buy it or sell it or transfer it or do whatever they want to do with it. Uh, we are just a platform, an, an open platform, and trying to give fair access to everyone. Exactly. Okay. Uh, one more misconception. Um, you know, this idea that Coinbase lists the longer tail of assets ahead of some more established assets or some some bigger, newer assets that uh, we have not yet supported for a variety of reasons. For insert your favorite conspiracy here. Um, but uh, what do we think about that one? We talked about the UPI listing, for example, right? And we talked about what went in. Uh, sometimes it's easier to list an asset because it's an ERC-20 asset, right? Sometimes it takes a long time to list an asset because it's a new chain and there are lots of technical complexity. Sometimes the legal evaluation or security evaluation may take more time. So it's not that we are trying to, there's some conspiracy, some agenda in listing one asset ahead of some other asset. We're trying to list as many assets as possible, uh, as quickly, as many viable assets as possible. And in some, in that race, some assets come forward, uh, come ahead of others because of the nature of the asset. And they may get listed ahead of other assets, but there is no no real master plan behind it. Yeah, if I, if I can just add <laughs> Justin to Surge's points, um, these reviews are very complex in, in many cases. Um, and, and, and figuring out whether a particular asset passes the Howey test, for example, or um, uh, poses significant security uh, risks, you know, can sometimes take much longer for certain assets versus others. Um, and so it shouldn't surprise anyone that um, from time to time, certain assets seem to get listed much faster than others. They're all going through the same rigorous process. It's just that the facts and circumstances surrounding certain assets may mean that they get listed a little bit um, quicker than others. I'm just going to say, is it fair to say that if my favorite project that has not yet been listed by Coinbase is not supported is because it's probably stuck, or at least it's held up momentarily in one of these different processes. Either it's an extensive legal review, or concerned about some security issues, uh, maybe it's technically very, very challenging to support, but it's certainly not that we don't want to list it. We're working to list it. It's just that we there's probably some deeper complexity and challenges underneath the surface. And it's a cross-functional team of engineers, legal professionals, uh, security folks, compliance folks, and they work very, very hard. They look at all kinds of assets that are potentially listable or potentially we can list uh, and figure out, uh, you know, you know, which can be listed faster than others based on the facts and the circumstances around each asset. Should we, are, are there any other misconceptions you guys can think of that we should address? The only other misconception I, I would just <laughs> add is that, um, you know, we, we, we somehow uh, favor um, uh, certain outcomes versus others. And, and I think that's implicit across each of those that you've listed, but 
it's just not true. Uh, the fact of the matter is that you know we we are investing massive resources to get these reviews done, not just quickly, but equally important accurately. And so sometimes I, we know that can frustrate some folks, um, but we think it's more important to get things right um, necessarily than get things uh, fast. Much more chaotic to support an asset and then realize later on, oh, whoops, maybe it didn't pass this bar over here. Maybe we, we move too quickly in a certain area and have to go back and delist it. That would be much more chaotic. Yes, for sure. Let's end with a bit of a question that our protocol developers and projects are probably curious to know. Um, Sergey, what can these projects do to increase their chances of getting supported by Coinbase? I have three tips. Build a very high quality project. That's the first one. Uh, the project sh should have strong community, legitimate trading volume, interest, so do everything to build a high quality project. Tip number two, integrate with Rosetta. This will help you accelerate the process of listing into Coinbase and also in other exchanges as well. It says open source software that helps asset issuers list their assets on exchanges, centralized exchanges. And number three, apply on assethub.coinbase.com. This is our portal for any new asset issuer to actually submit their asset for our review. And it makes the whole process a lot simpler, easier from workflow perspective internally. So just go and, and use that portal, submit all the details, and, and it just goes through our process and a lot more smoothly. So those are the three tips. And I just want to add one thing, you know, just like you see long-tail assets trade on decentralized exchanges without any controversy, we don't think listing on centralized exchanges should be viewed any differently. When provided, of course, they, they pass the base levels of security and compliance checks and, and technical checks and so on. So that's something to remember that we are trying to see how we can bring more and more assets in front of our users, uh, including top assets and long tail assets. And uh, we are not trying to be the arbiter of which asset is good or which is bad for the user. I, for one, am just super excited that we finally got a chance to sit down and talk about all this. There's been a lot of misconceptions and conspiracies. And I think people, you know, absent hearing us talk about the process, it's human nature to kind of make up your own reasons. And in that void, oftentimes the reasons are misconceptions that are incorrect. And so if we could shed any light on this at all, I think it's a win. Well, there you have it. Hopefully that was a bit illuminating on how we think about asset additions, how we view our place in the industry, and how we try to protect both the consumers and the industry from potential harm by making sure we're doing the right legal diligence and security evaluations, as well as, of course, the technical work to support these assets. But I'm curious, did we ask all the questions? Are you still curious about something? This is your chance. Reach out to me on Twitter. I'm jmart underscore 199. Also, leave a comment on YouTube. Engage with us. And let's see if we answered all of your questions. Also, be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And check us out on the web, coinbase.com slash around the block. You'll find additional long-form research as well as other past podcast episodes. And as always, catch us next week for more. See you then. Today's conversation is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice. Actual results may vary materially from any forward-looking statements made and are subject to risks and uncertainties.